Hello and welcome to another packed show. I'm Seb Lozier and this time we hear from Cam Norrie on getting used to life among the game's elite. Andre Rublev talks about his mindset. We hear from giant American Riley Apelka on his love of clay. And doubles pair Lloyd Glasspool and Harry Helyovara spill the beans on a manic week. We also have Rafa Nadal about his foot injury ahead of Roland Garros. But first, to the final in Rome, the fifth Masters 1000 of the year, where Novak Djokovic has got back to winning ways. And after securing his 1,000th career victory in the semi-final, he's now beaten Stefanos Tsitsipas in the final. Novak, huge congratulations. When you start a final like that with a six-love opening set, were even you a little surprised? Well, uh, I pleasantly surprised myself, I can say. Even though, you know, I had a clear game plan and strategy coming into a match, I knew what, what was expecting me from the other side, so I knew what I have to do. But um, I, I did play a perfect set, no doubt about it. Uh, after that, you know, it was uh, a little bit tight uh, beginning of the second for me. He used it. And at this level, you know, one or two points can turn a match around. And uh, he was back in the game. 4-1 uh, up for him and 30-40. And match could have easily gone in the third set, but I somehow managed to find uh, the right shots at the right time in the second set, come back in the game and, you know, just uh, the tiebreaker, I, I guess, you know, I was just uh, an inch better, uh, maybe calmer, and, uh, but it was, it was a tight, tight tiebreak for both of us, certainly. You've played so well this week, people are saying the real Novak is back. When was the last time you played this well? Well, uh, yesterday, two days ago, I played great. So I've been building my my form the last couple of weeks. And uh, like the previous years, uh, I, I knew that my best shape on the clay is usually coming around Rome time. So it uh, couldn't be a better time, obviously, coming into Roland Garros with, uh, with a title and, and this wonderful tournament. Has this been the perfect week for you? Yes, yes, it has. So not to be this time for Stefanos Tsitsipas, but the Greek is showing a level of consistency that stands him in good stead for the rest of the year. And he spoke about some of the things he's been working on outside of the court. It's kind of like a chess game in a way. You're thinking about your next move. You know, you're thinking of all the possibilities. If you're kind of constructing the game in your, in your mind uh, before it even happens. And it's a good thing. It's visualization. It's uh, trying to use different strategies in your mind that you might apply later uh, on court. Do you feel that that is an aspect of your game that has, has moved up a level this year? Do you feel that you're ready for anything strategically? Yes, I've done a lot of uh, research. I've done a lot of uh, analytical uh, improvements uh, when it comes to my uh, game. And uh, I'm always trying to look in, in, onto the small things that can actually make a difference in my game. Uh, I'm kind of a perfectionist, I really try and aim for perfection. I know it's difficult to reach perfection, but in my sport, it's, uh, all these small details will eventually make such a big difference uh, in the long run, and uh, uh, I do want to get as close to that as possible. One of the biggest stories of the week in Rome was Rafael Nadal's injury-affected defeat against Denis Shapovalov. According to the great Spaniard, it's now a race against time to be fit for Roland Garros. No, I am not injured. I am a, <laughs> a player living with uh, with an injury. That's it. No, no, no. I, it's nothing new. No, it's something that uh, is there, and uh, unfortunately, 
my day by day is difficult, honestly. Uh, even like this, I am trying hard, but uh, of course, it's difficult for me to to accept the the situation sometimes, no? Because it's um, yeah, can be frustrating that some lot of days I can't practice uh, the proper way and. Is there all the time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I can, but I can. Sometimes more, more, sometimes more. Sometimes more, sometimes less. Today was crazy. That's it. Um, I don't know. I, <laughs> I would love to tell you another stuff and uh, talk about uh, tennis and talk about uh, another thing. But today it's, uh, it's what it is. Um, what can happen in the next couple of days? I don't know. Uh, and what can happen in one week? I really don't know now. Uh, Today, uh, as you can imagine, even if I have a lot of experience on <laughs> on things, uh, today is tough for me, you know, because uh, I started the season great, uh, and then happened uh, the rip. But then, uh, since I came back, uh, the foot have been tough. Uh, being honest, no, uh, tough for me to to be able to to, pl to practice the proper way days in a row. So then. Uh, <laughs> you need to move well uh, to to compete at the highest level. Something that I am not able to to practice, um, and then the things becomes uh, much more difficult. Uh, negative thing is, <laughs> and uh, toughest thing for me is today. Honestly, I start to feel myself playing much better. <laughs> I started the match playing much better. Uh, the, my practice was uh, much better, the warm-up, than the, than the other day. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I feel sad about that, that I started to feel again uh, a lot of positive things. Uh, but then, uh, when this kind of stuff happens, uh, the rest of the things, <laughs> the rest of the positive things disappears. No? So, uh, yeah, um, it's the time to accept the situation uh, and fight. That's it. I don't. Uh, I, I honestly, I can't tell you anything more now. No, I just want to. Uh, <laughs> it's not about that. I can come back and I can do a treatment. <laughs> That's the negative part of this thing. No, I. I have to come back and. Uh, I don't know if rest. I don't know if uh, maybe practice. Uh, it's true that uh, during the French Open, uh, Roland Garros, I'm gonna have my doctor there with me. Uh, that sometimes helps uh, because you can do things. Uh, but I don't know. I, I am just uh, sad, obviously, today. Uh, as everybody knows, it's a tournament that I, I like a lot. And um, be out is something that I, I don't like. No? But um, in the positive uh, days and in the negative days, um, you need to, to stay and to, to value all the things that uh, happened uh, to me in a positive way. You know? So then days like today, just accept and uh, try to keep going, uh, uh, even if sometimes it's not easy for me. But uh, I still a goal uh, in, in one week, and uh, I'm going to keep dreaming about that goal. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. One astonishing fact from Rome is that you have to go back 18 years to May 2004 for the last time that neither Novak Djokovic nor Rafael Nadal featured in the final. At the time, Brit Cam Norrie was just nine years old.
I mean, it just shows how dominant those those boys have been and how impressive that they've had to to do to to keep that up. And yeah, pretty it's pretty sick stat. And yeah, they're freaks. Those guys. <laughs> <laughs> they are extremely good. Um, why do you think it's happened here of of all the places? I mean, it it hasn't happened in that exact way. They've been dominant, obviously, in many tournaments around the world, but never to to that extent. I think, yeah, obviously, Rafa, he loves the clay and um, there's no secrets why he's been so dominant. And, and I think Djokovic, towards the end of the, the latter stages of the, the clay court tournaments, he starts to find his feet and his ball starts travelling through the air. Uh, and it's a little bit quicker, um, drier conditions uh, towards the end of the, the clay season. So there's, there's no secrets why he's done really well as well. So and it's getting towards French Open, so they're trying to uh, peak and they're trying to get ready uh, to be in the top shape for, for those events. So it's, yeah, six stat. To beat them both in the same week on the clay is some achievement, isn't it? This is what Carlos Alcaraz has just done in Madrid. Has that sent a bit of a buzz around the locker room? Yeah, definitely. And he had to get through me as well, the, the round before. So, <laughs> so, so he's done the Nori, the Djokovic, and then the Nadal triple. So. A treble. Yeah, so that's... It's pretty cool, and, and um, even before playing, when I was playing Alcaraz, I was thinking, man, I'm gonna, I could have to do this, play Alcaraz and play Nadal and Djokovic, but um, no, just to see the, the fashion that he beat those guys in, and, and um, to see you can back it up, you know, beating Nadal and then the next day coming out and, and uh, taking it to Novak and from a set down as well, and then just to that last tiebreak he played was was unbelievable and he's so he has such a complete game for for his age obviously and and uh, his drop shots uh, in that match were out of this world so um, it's cool to see that there's someone else coming through and um, yeah he's such a likable guy one of the nicest guys and and he's um, when you speak to him you know he's so mature and he's he's a genuine guy as well and and um, him and his team I have a lot of respect for them off the court too so it's it's happened to a nice guy as well. I was going to say, you've run into him a couple of times, haven't you? But, I mean, is he having a kind of inspirational, motivational effect on, on you? Um, not really on me. I think it's just great for me to, to play him a couple of times. Um, he's been me three times now already. So just to, especially for me on this surface, to, to play a close match with him and to, to feel the level um, with him. Um, before the French Open, trying to, when I'm trying to peak, you know, and and um, to play a match like that against one of the most informed players at the moment was was pretty cool, and and just to see the way he goes about his business and to see the way he practices, and um, I'm good friends with him, so I've been practicing with him quite a lot. I actually went to his academy a couple of years ago and and did some preseason with him as well, so I, I know him quite well, and um, yeah, it's been cool to see his rise and his rapid rise, and I've managed to to stick above him for the most part and now he's just got me and and um hopefully i can try to take him back at one point <laughs> you're not surprised by this then uh not really at all i know i just seeing the way he, he practices and seeing his his level in the practice court and how complete his game is already i was i was not surprised but i think i was surprised a little bit how quick he did it and and the way he he did it uh, I always knew he had it in him, but to, to see him do it at this age, just turning 19, and, and the level of maturity that it takes to, to do that uh, over and above the, the actual tennis level.
Your game on clay, this time last year, you were in a couple of finals either side of Rome, weren't you? I wonder how transformative that was to the way you saw yourself on the surface. It definitely gave me a lot of confidence to, to win a lot of big matches on the surface and, and to feel like I can play well, and um, especially when I'm moving well, looking for my forehand and, and being the one taking it to the other guy. And um, it's been pretty good and unique this year that I've had uh, a little bit higher ranking. I was playing qualies here last year and to be in this tournament seated nine and to, to have a little bit different schedule and prioritize these events to try peak for these events has been massive for me and, and um, I'm feeling feeling good. Had a great week last week and um, yeah, just trying to keep the momentum up and uh, us, us players are loving it and having all the, the fans back and everything and it's it's definitely after myself competing in Turin last year and to see the, the change um, and the, the reception from some, from some of the fans has been incredible for me and, and um, I can't really just go out and about and go and watch matches. I have to be a little bit careful at times as there's people running around. I can't just be, be normal, which is a, a surprise for me. So, um, but it just shows that I've, my progression and, and it gives me a lot of confidence that I'm um, among some of the best players in the world at the moment and I, and I want to try keep that up and yeah. Cameron Norrie with Richard Connolly and he certainly is mixing it with the very best these days. But as he said, he, like most of the tour, has been blown away by the form of Carlos Alcaraz. And while the Spaniard was resting this week ahead of Roland Garros, he was still the first topic of conversation when Richard spoke with Andrei Rublev. It's phenomenal. I mean, it's like I said now that, first of all, he's super talented and he's a really hard worker, super nice guy, humble, and uh, he really loves tennis and you can see the fire in his eyes and this is something that you cannot get either you have this or I'm talking about the, the passion and the love for the sport because many players they misunderstand the things love tennis or be in love with yourself in tennis you know and the, many players they confuse these things and Carlos he is in love with the tennis and this is something that I respect a lot and the things that he's doing the way he's playing is phenomenal. You're an established top 10 player I would say now 18 months you got into the top 10 and you've stayed there so to see his rise so fast I mean what do you think of the speed at which he's done it? The speed I mean he's unreal uh, I mean everything happens for him perfect in the right moment in the, he got it's kind of a bit reminding me myself with the, my coach but in my case I got this uh, let's say perfect match with my coach when I was around 18 19 and it took me a couple of years to build myself in the right way of work to be at the top 10 so it took me three four years I don't know maybe a bit less and he got perfect match with uh, Carlos Ferrero when he was 14 or something and it took him three four years and now he's only doing better and better and better and in the end he have, yeah he was working really in the right way since he was yeah 13 14 and with the right coach that they have perfect connection inside the court and outside the court which is something that is almost impossible to find and without that 
maybe it doesn't happen in the same way? Uh, this we never know. I mean, in my, I can talk about myself. Yeah. When I was 13, 14, I, I was working hard, obviously, but I was working not in the right way. So, and then this work was, cost nothing, you know? It's, if I would not work the same way, it would be the same thing. And then when I met Fernando and he opened the eyes how the real work is, then when I start to improve also so fast in two years, I develop a lot and I start to win great matches and beating great players. Can I talk about the work you've done on your mental game, in, in, on, the voices, on the voices in that head of yours? Because I watched the game with Evans in Madrid and yes, you were frustrated and yes, you hurt your hand, but yes, you also responded to that and fought back and played beautifully to win that match. What, what are you reflecting on there? Was there a lot of positive to take away? Uh, I mean, knowing myself, the way I was frustrated that much in the beginning, if maybe you take me one year ago, I would be maybe frustrated like this during all the set or maybe all the match. And obviously for sure I would lose it. And that match I get frustrated first games and then I say okay now it's time to keep myself calm if I want to win uh, just shut up and play tennis and in the end I was able to do it and that's why I think I could come back and I could win the match. Sounds like you've got one voice that tells you Andre that was a bad shot you're no good and then you're learning to bring through another voice, which is a bit more helpful. Can you tell us about what goes on in that head? It looks like I have bipolar, man. <laughs> I need to go to hospital to check myself. No. But yeah, it's like something that when you really want something badly, so like to win a match or to perform really well, and you're asking from yourself like a everything perfect you know perfect tennis perfect shots and if you do uh, like a winners it's not good enough it's like it's something normal that because you expect from yourself perfect you know and, and then when you do something good it's super bad so in the end there is no like basically I'm too bad to myself because if I do winners or I'm winning match this is normal you know I'm not saying like good job to myself like what a great shot it's like, okay, this is how it have to be minimum, you know? But if I miss, it's like, it, it's unacceptable. And that's the problem to make it acceptable. Perfection, though. Yeah, kind can, of. Can you, In a bad way. Can you aim for perfection? Is that, is that realistic for anybody? No. No. Perfection didn't exist. Because uh, we are humans and we're always going to do mistakes and we're doing mistakes. So the trick is to aim for or accept something a little bit less than perfection. Perfection is when you accept the things. That's when it's perfection. And you're getting closer to finding... Uh, oh, well, we will see. And now it's like a, or this side or that side. I think what comes to me is that this all comes from your love of tennis. You talked about Carlos Alcaraz's fire, the fire yeah. in his eyes. I mean, you know you have that. It's, yeah, it's from, that's why, it's from yeah, the passion, isn't he it? He reminds me of myself a bit. Yeah. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. 
available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. It's often assumed that most Americans can't feel their best on the clay. And while a first-round exit for Riley Apelka against Stamborinka in Rome might seem to back up that claim, a semi-final appearance at the same venue last year and a clay court title in Houston this year suggest otherwise. The fact is, there's more than meets the eye when it comes to this particular American and the clay. We moved from Michigan when I was about five, six years old to Palm Coast, Florida, which is a small town uh, northeast um, near Jacksonville, and that's where um, I started playing. And do you remember still the feel of the clay under your feet for the first time? That was kind of all I knew, you know, and I was little, um, so that that's just kind of, uh, yeah, that, it was more normal for me to be playing on clay than, than hard. So, as a professional player, do you kind of feel like it's, it's in your blood, clay court tennis? Yeah, I would say so. You know, I think a lot of the, I think a lot of the American guys that, that grew up on the East Coast would probably say the same. I mean, Tommy Paul was also, you know, playing all the same tournaments as I was, as was Francis. I mean, it's not, it's not as foreign to us as, as people think. We have a lot of them, and it's not red. That's the biggest difference, and there is a difference between the two, but the concepts are still the same. Uh, the West Coast is a different story. The California climate doesn't suit for clay court tennis at all, but Florida does. That difference between green and red clay, the movement is the same? Every, the concepts of tennis are the same, yeah, for sure. It's just you don't move quite as well. There's two types of clay courts in the States. There's some of the, the green, it's green, you know, the clay is greens. There's you're either, there's either a court that's good for sliding and not good for playing, or there's one that's good for playing, but not good for sliding. And the red clay is, is, is good for both, you know, at least here in Rome and last week in Madrid, you know. But um, yeah, in the States, those are the, the two things when it comes to clay courts. So this whole European clay court swing, has this felt like a natural home for you ever since the, the beginning? I mean, yeah, it's not, um, yeah, I mean, I, I obviously have had my best results um, in the States at home, um, but yeah, I think, I think I've always enjoyed being, especially in Rome, you know, what's there not to love about being here? I've never really played well in Madrid, some altitude there, I, I don't know what it is, maybe that's, I usually start that week, so I'm still getting my footing and adapting to everything here, but um, my, uh, my game starts to come around for it, and I think I kind of tune up well for right around this time. Tell us about last year then and your run to the semifinals. What is your clearest memory from that time? Um, you know, I hadn't won many matches the, that entire year. I had a really rough start to the year and um, everything kind of flipped for me that week. I remember this was the first tournament where last year where we weren't in a bubble. And I just remember being able to, to roam freely was um, just beautiful. I hadn't done that at a tournament in, in a long time. so. Having my freedom and, and being able to explore and just walk to get coffee and, and be able to leave my room was the greatest feeling ever. And I think it's just the little things in life, you know, made me so much happier. Every practice I was in a much better mood. I was more optimistic. I got more out of every practice, let's say, because my demeanor was just so much more just at ease with, with everything. And, and I think that uh, good tennis came out of it, and I think it was something to kind of keep in the memory bank, just to know that 
when my mind is able to, you know, when I'm not in a dark place or I'm able to, to enjoy my life and, and be happy, my practices will probably be better because I'll be more eager to, to search for things and to dig deeper in each practice. What about that semi-final with Rafa Nadal on the centrale court here? I mean, that was the yeah. first time you'd played him, wasn't it? What was the feeling like of that Rafa Nadal ball hitting the strings? Yeah, I, I remember after the match, I mean, I was a little disappointed in myself just because that was the, um, you know, obviously I'm not expecting anything crazy out there, but I, I served really poorly, I remember. Obviously, Rafa is Rafa. There's a reason why. It's not that I just went out there and served poorly. Obviously, he has something to do with it. There's more to it than that, but um, I remember being a little upset with, with how I served, and, and the conditions that day were great for me. It was hot. Um, the courts were, you know, relatively dry, and, and things could have could have gotten interesting. I'm not saying I could have won, but I, you know, I would have liked to have seen myself at least push him. I didn't push him much at all in that match, and, and it was a little frustrating that I, I gave him two early breaks, and that was pretty much it. But it sounds like you still took a lot from the week, both tennis-wise and completely separate from tennis as well. Do you get a good feeling coming back for this year? I just care about playing good tennis. I haven't played good tennis yet on this trip. Um, physically, I wasn't in the best shape after after Indian Wells, and I kind of rushed it coming back into Houston. And I was lucky, I, you know, I, things worked out and went my way that week. But long run clay court season, I'm not sure. Looking back on it, it's hard to say if I would do the same again. My my body was a uh, struggling. I didn't get the prep that I wanted and it's not about results really for me but I haven't played great tennis so far in Europe I, I'm not the happiest with my my level and but um, you know I'm looking forward to peaking for Roland Garros and finally this week preparation is essential for top level sport we all know that but sometimes elite athletes have to make do and improvise which on occasion can even help in Rome, Richard Connolly caught up with doubles team Lloyd Glasspool and Harry Helluvara after their quarter-final loss. But at one stage, it hadn't even looked like they'd make it to the Eternal City. Lloyd Glasspool picks up the story. It was Tuesday night around 11 o'clock. Um, I got a message off another player who was one spot behind us asking where I was because I imagine if I wasn't going to go, they were going to go and they would have got in. So I saw that message and checked the draw and then I saw Rublev had retired or withdrew from the tournament. So straight away I knew we were going to get in. Uh, I'm ringing Harry, messaging him, no reply. Check the time in Finland, it's, you know, 1am, so... Where were you at the time? I was in London. You were in London. And he's two hours ahead in Finland, so... And he's got a kid as well, a little one-year-old, whose birthday was that day, I think. Mm. Um, so he's definitely asleep. I'm ringing him, his brother, his wife, anyone, just to try and somehow get contact. Um, his little baby wakes him up, and he checks his phone. And then we get in contact and decide at midnight or 1am that we're going to go. Let's go to Harry then. Um, why weren't you in Rome in the first place? I mean, there are no qualifiers for these events. That's the first thing to say, I suppose. You could have been here waiting around. I guess the birthday is a special day. Did you have lots of nice cake? I baked a cake already for my little girl. Actually, yeah, that's what, that was the plan. My wife told me that this could be a good week to stay home. We have a first birthday of our baby girl. And, and that, was, that was the plan, to have a week of rest and practice and... 
I mean, we were far away. We were sixth alternate on the original list last right. last week when the list came out, and there's plenty of teams who are here who could have signed, but decided not to so all of a sudden we got we got closer and closer there was another alternate team who got in on monday and then tuesday night wow it just happened so your daughter wakes you up in the middle of the night and you look at your phone and how many missed calls do you have that is correct she she cried a little bit i mean she has cried in her life before but this was more most important cry of, of her life and i mean there was close to 20 calls from lloyd and i just see the phone i know okay something has changed did you wake your partner up straight away, or what was the conversation like then? <laughs> no, I didn't. I first started messaging with Lloyd, and, oh, what's happening, and do we do something? And then, yeah, my partner was, my wife was still sleeping when I went to her, and oh, oh, oh I'm, I might be leaving in a couple of hours. So are you okay with that? And I mean, luckily she was. She was. So this Lloyd is late Tuesday night into Wednesday morning, and the match... I mean, you make contact with the tournament then, do you? Or do you just decide you have to travel and write your name on the line and then you're in the tournament? Tell us how it works. So we have to sign in, which can be on-site or on the phone, by 10.30. And if we're top of that list, we get in. So we decided to go without 100% knowing we're going to be in because I think Warinka and Felix could have signed, but they didn't. Um... So yeah, we just signed, I think you signed before the flight and then we landed and just prayed that we were going to get in. Not the full story because your flight wasn't the most straightforward. What happened to your tennis gear? Well, I finally got to bed about 1.30 in the morning with an Uber for 3.30. So I obviously missed my alarm, woke up at 5am for a 6.30 flight. Right. I messaged Harry like, I don't think we can go now and he's on his he's on his flight like sat on the plane ready to go what was your mood like at this point I see uh, your message was I missed the flight <laughs> like what <laughs> like this should not happen but then it was my fault I kept him up the whole night because I didn't reply earlier <laughs> yeah. that's, that's quite generous of you I can see why you're a good team so you got to the airport anyway just about yeah I just said I'm gonna go uh, I'll get in an Uber, I'll get there probably about 6 o'clock for a 6.30 flight, 6.35. I'm just going to take two rackets, my shoes and string and get on the plane. Like, I can't take any baggage because it's closed. Maybe I might make the flight and then at least I've got clothes, rackets and shoes, the essentials, you know. Right. And I somehow make it <laughs> with five minutes to spare and then we got there. I imagine you were a persuasive man. Um, so you're in Rome. Neither of you have been to this tournament before, Harry, is that right? Or played in it, certainly. What, what was that arrival experience like then? Because I imagine things are quite a rush. Every, yeah, everything is new. Uh, luckily, we have uh, great tournaments. They pick you up from the airport, they take us here. Of course, we have no idea where they should take us, where to get accreditation, where to find something to eat, where to find practice courts. Like, we're, we're completely lost. Luckily, there was... I think some other British players who told us yeah. where to go and and uh, we found the practice court and the court, court is still similar to what we have everywhere else <laughs> so you could you could feel at home on the court but outside it's it's a massive tournament a lot of people it, I mean first day you always feel a little bit lost but luckily we felt good on the on the match courts the draw was out by this point 
so you knew, I take it, that when you arrived, you would be playing Ram and Salisbury, the number one seeds. That was the slot you were taking. Yeah. So you were coming here to play in the main draw, but I don't know, what are you thinking? You've got the best pair in the world to play against. Uh, for me personally, I quite enjoyed it because I'm good friends with Joe. So I could openly message, you know, messing around saying, oh, you guys, you're going straight through to the next round. We're landing the same day. I've slept two hours, you know, planting the seed, kind of messing with him. Um, but Harry hadn't slept much either, had you? No, no, maximum four hours. Right, so six hours between you and you turn up on court. But obviously, it's, it's not like that most weeks. What, what, did it, what did, the feel, did it feel like walking out onto court? There was zero pressure. That's the amazing feeling. Normally, if we, we would pre like do a normal preparation, play our first ATP 1000 Masters, I think we would be a little bit nervous. Now, it was completely different. We were just there doing our thing. If we lose, it doesn't really matter. We have the chance. Just go, play freely. When did you realise it was clicking and this was actually going really rather well? For me, it was on the match warm-up before. I was actually like, hold on, I feel, I feel OK here. Yeah. Which must have been very strange indeed. Yeah, I didn't expect it, that's for sure. All very well, you're relaxed, then you get to a situation where you're about to win the match. It's match point. You must have still been anxious, Harry, at that point. It's a, it's a huge win for you. Of course, it's the biggest win of our career, by, by far. And I mean, the second set, we started playing better and better. I think, for some reason, we handled the, the winning pressure so well. We stayed super positive, the energy was going the right way, and just, I don't know how the opponents felt, but I don't think they felt that we were at all nervous at the end. So you win, I don't know, you find the restaurant, you get something to eat, you then go to the new hotel, you check in, and you oversleep again? Well, I was just so tired <laughs> catching up from the night before. We had a car booked at 10 o'clock for 11 o'clock practice. <laughs> and I wake up at 10 o'clock. So skip breakfast, get the next car I could and get to the courts at 11 o'clock. Are you still patient at this point, Harry, with this oversleeping? Oh, yeah. This guy, he likes his routine. So if, if it worked the day before that he overslept, I give it to him a second time. No problem. <laughs> Did the match feel different? You played Kokinakis and Tiafo the second day, two terrific singles players, obviously going to be a big challenge. Did it feel different coming back to the Foro Italico the second day? I think so, yeah. This time, all of a sudden, we had a little bit of, of pressure. We were maybe the favourites. We were the doubles guys. I mean, at least ourselves, we expected us to win. We expect, expected us to beat those guys. And then, then, it's, then it's a different story. You, you need to execute well. And, and they, they could play quite freely, I felt like. But it was, it was a great match, too. So then, all of a sudden, Lloyd, you're, you're in the quarterfinals of one of the biggest tournaments of the entire year. I mean, this is turning out to be quite a strange week, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> How's your head at this point? Uh, now I'm kind of in normal tournament mode. Now it's, you know, you've caught up on your sleeve. You're used to the, All your excuses are gone now. Now it's time to get to work again. Uh, but you're feeling good. You've got two wins under your belt, uh, practicing good, eating good, and yeah back in the tournament starting to enjoy the Rome life yeah. and, and, and why not I mean it's, it's a beautiful event Isner and Schwarz winning the quarterfinals how did it go Harry? Well it didn't go our way I have to say they played a really good match they, these guys they can play some, some good tennis when they when they are on fire and today they didn't do much wrong of course I, I could feel like maybe 
it was just three days for us here, but we, we still felt a little bit tired. I mean, all the stress, everything was was so different from normal. Even though we were feeling good on the court, maybe if you miss that small small part of your game, it, it will show, unfortunately. What are the lessons then, Lloyd, of this week? Because clearly the relaxed attitude to a certain degree has helped you play some brilliant tennis. Obviously, there are things that you don't want to compromise on, like like sleep and like essential parts of your tennis gear and all that kind of thing. But is there a serious lesson behind it, do you think? Yeah, I think so, for sure. I think uh, it kind of shows you that once you step on the court and you're in between those lines, that it doesn't matter how you feel or what happens before, you just kind of, you're in the match, like everything's gone. You're in the same position as them. You've got a tennis racket, you're hitting balls. You kind of need to forget everything and focus. But also at the same time, if your preparation isn't good, if something happens, then you know you can relax with it. Good things can still happen. Everything doesn't need to be perfect. What about confidence in the long run, Harry? Is this going to do something for you both? I mean, here you are, quarterfinals of a major event, and you've managed in these extraordinary circumstances. Absolutely, yeah. We, we got some great wins on clay. This will do good for our rankings. This will be a very good confidence boost just in, just before Roland Garros, too. So I think like we can go there and feel like we can beat any team. And that's a, that's a really good situation. And for team spirit as well, I mean... Do you feel a little closer for all this? I don't know how good friends you were before, but this is going to be a week, I would imagine, you're going to remember for the rest of your lives. Yeah, for sure. Definitely remember this one forever. Yeah, I mean, we're we're good friends. It's still kind of a business relationship still, <laughs> but, but we're, we're getting closer. I mean, if this week he, he has started to call my wife and my brothers, I think we are getting quite close. <laughs> In an emergency sometimes, <laughs> it's necessary, right? Yeah. OK, well, we wish you... Great luck for, for the rest of the season. Roland Garros is next as we speak. And we hope it goes very smoothly. And with the newfound relaxed attitude, uh, great things are possible. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you. It. Lloyd Glasspool and Harry Helly Orvara, thank you for speaking to us on the ATP podcast. There you go. Sometimes practice doesn't make perfect. Good luck to Lloyd, Harry and to all of our other guests this week. I'll be back in a few weeks' time. Chris Bowers will be bringing you the podcast in the meantime around Roland Garros. Make sure you check out our preview show next weekend and before that, the podcast channel this coming Wednesday on Apple, Google, Amazon, TuneIn or Spotify as we have an exclusive sit-down not to be missed with the soon-to-be-retiring Joe Wilfred Tsonga. It's wonderful to hear from Joe ahead of his very final event at Roland Garros. For all the latest news and results, remember to check out the ATP WTA Live app, where you'll also get all the latest from the two ATP 250s coming up this week in Geneva and Lyon. For now, though, from me, Seb Lozier. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the tennis. <laughs>